Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Tom Zarek on the new Battlestar Galactica, and you're listening to the Galactica Quorum, and it's a fracking podcast. Watching her become insane is not entertaining. Has he never fired a gun? If you're going to bring the suck, bring it full time. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Galactica Quorum. It's a mother fracking podcast. Watch your mouth. It's a fracking podcast about Battlestar Galactica and Caprica. On the podcast today, I'm Brian. I'm Dimitri. Jason. And it's Jesse. Our website is galacticacorum.com. Our email is gquorum at gmail.com. That's spelled G-Q-U-O-R-U-M at gmail.com. And our voicemail for comments, questions, and correspondence is 301-358-5175. Follow us on Twitter. Our account name is Galactica Quorum. That's one word. And you can also find us on Facebook as well. We have not listened to the official sci-fi podcast for this episode. We will be talking about the Caprica episode, Ghost in the Machine. We will not be discussing any spoilers, but we will be doing speculation. Again, we want to bring up our other podcast, Geek Quorum, which very soon will be kicking back into full gear once we hit the mid-season break for Caprica. That website is geekquorum.com and found on iTunes as Geek Quorum. We mentioned it very early on, but I want to bring up again, we will be doing the contest where we will be giving away the BSG downloaded book signed by Richard Hatch. News for Battlestar this week. The one thing I would bring up is sort of related to Caprica more so than the BSG franchise. Not this week's sci-fi podcast, but the podcast for the previous episode. After we put the last podcast out, I went back and listened to them talking about the last episode. Some interesting things. They spent the first few minutes just talking about how the show over the first seven, eight episodes, they were not totally satisfied with the direction that it had been taken, that they were taking a somewhat new direction, and that that episode had been a turning point in the series, where, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said it went from a boardroom, not bedroom, boardroom drama to a more suspense-driven show. Now, which episode was supposed to turn the corner? You would think it would be the There Is Another Sky episode, which I thought was more of a turning point, but it was actually the one following that, I believe. Well, Okay. Is that their phrasing, that it became more suspenseful? Yes. Mm. Okay. Don't know if I'd agree with that, but we'll continue on. From the sounds of it, they were acknowledging that they had changes to make and that the direction would be different following from that point on. Now, there's been at least one, possibly two episodes since that happened, since they started breaking down episodes with this new philosophy. Can't say I see a dramatic difference. I don't know about you guys, but the only thing I noticed really different is some of the storylines that they had in the beginning, seem to have dropped off. Like, the prominent one for me is the whole feds investigating the terrorist bombing, and that seems to have completely disappeared. Yes. Another thing he brought up was something we had been discussing, and that is Amanda and her affairs. We mentioned very early on that in the pilot script that there was mention of her having an affair with Burgess, and they actually addressed that in the podcast. They said that In the very beginning, she had had an affair, but they decided against it, and they had a different actor for that time. So that does lead me to believe that they did actually film that portion, but they said they wanted to go in a different direction with that. And then he segued into talking about Amanda and Clarice and how they had, in the writer's room, brought up the possibility of them having an affair. 
a lesbian affair. He didn't completely shoot it down, but said that wasn't going to happen. It was not happening now, but he wasn't totally ruling some sort of relationship out in the future. More tidbits. He acknowledged that Lacey and the uh, guy from her high school, at some point you might have thought they were heading towards something, but he basically said they had no chemistry. (laughs) So he said that was not going to happen. It's kind of interesting that a lot of what they do is very dependent on whether the actors themselves have some sort of rapport and I always thought of that more as a uh, she's using him to get what she wants and he has no shot. Yeah. That's why you cast. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, I would think you'd have them work together a little bit, but hey, what do I know? Four thoughts, a wonderful thing. According to them, I guess the talent pool in Vancouver is just so shallow. Can't they, like, hire actors from outside of Vancouver, ship somebody and put them up in a hotel? Hotel is cheaper than, like, I don't, I don't Whatever. 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 <laughs> We're not going to do too many emails on this episode, again, because I want to keep things relatively short. did have an email that just came in from Skiznot, who is our music composer for the Geek Quorum. And he writes regarding our last episode where we talked about Tamara and her role as a divine character. He says, I'm so glad Dimitri said it. For weeks now, I've been toying with the idea that Tamara actually becomes the one true God character. I have no real reason to think that will happen in the show, but I got the idea from an Orson Scott Card story. We're an emergent program, so it transcends a physical medium and can alter reality on some level. Didn't that happen in Tron? I think it happens in a lot of stories. It's transcending the programming and becoming, yeah. Another point he makes is, just as a guess, he says, I think Emmanuel is Evelyn, and Evelyn is the uh, assistant to Joseph in his office. He says, again, no real reason for me to think that other than maybe Booth's hairstyle put the idea in my head, and it could be a way for Joseph and Evelyn to connect on a deeper level. There's been the speculation about, is Emmanuel some other character, Tamara, in disguise? We can open that up in a moment, I guess. Okay, so we're going to talk now about the episode at hand. Here, then, is the recap for Hide Your Dogs and Garters. No, no, no. It's called Ghosts in the Machine. Joseph and Emmanuel are scampering through New Cap City looking for signs of Tamara. They look for clues in the digital counterpart of Adama's apartment. A gunfight breaks out, but none of the bad guys are felled by Joseph, who's too much of a pansy to even shoot a computer game character. Back in the real world, he asks Sam the trick to taking someone's life. Easy, his brother says. Just imagine them in their underwear. Breaks the tension. Makes me giggle. Meanwhile, Daniel is beseeching Zoe to figuratively come out of her shell and fess up to being inside the U87. He resorts to putting her in a ring of fire, something that would have been worth years' worth of therapy for human Zoe. Still, no dice. She resists the urge to tromp up to her room and slam the door behind her. Instead, she continues to give him the silent treatment. Back in New Cap City, Joseph follows a lead to a bawdy nightclub, the denizens apparently being rejects from the set of Carnival. The cross-dressing MC immediately puts him on the spot with a riddle. What is your name? Joseph Adama of Caprica. What is your quest? To seek my daughter. What is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Maybe it's seeing a man in women's undergarments, but Joseph suddenly gets in a killing frame of mind. Using a dosage of amp stimulant as a digital can of spinach, he takes out the motley patrons and forces the MC to reveal that Tamara had been there. Virgis is still hoping to get Daniel's sports team, and like everyone else, senses that Amanda is the weak brick in the wall. He tells her Daniel's a thief and a killer. Amanda says, that's crazy. Crazy. Daniel has one last test for Zoe. Talk or the dog gets it. Oh, Tin Man, if you only had a heart. She shoots, but the dog is fine. Killing dogs was so 1970s Battlestar Galactica. No, the gun had blanks, saving us the horror of seeing Daniel reanimating the dog in the form of a mechanical daggett. Roll credits. Okay, who wants to begin? I've been very critical of the show's pacing and its uneven storylines. 
like all of us, I wanted to like the show, but it wasn't making it easy. And I said, because of my faith in the creative team, I was going to keep watching the show. And I may be a minority here, but in this episode, I feel rewarded my patience. I'll give a half agreement on that. They were really doing better. And then for some reason, they pulled the gun out in the last scene and shot themselves in the foot. (laughs) You build up suspense through this whole mind games thing, even ignoring the whole, you know, this is all based on teen angst. But then... Mm -hmm. After going through all this thing about, oh, my God, he tricked her into shooting the dog, and she went through all this thing, and then you have her admit that she knew they were blanks. I'm like, well, okay, so you basically just told us there was no reason to do that last scene. See, I disagree. I think, first off, for the first time, they gave a reason to me that this isn't teen angst. Zoe's avatar isn't Zoe And the Avatar understands that. When she was talking to Lacey about Zoe's parents, it seemed, at least how I was watching it, and this could be the eye of the beholder, but for the first time, I understood a little bit that this computer program has enough aware that I'm like Zoe, but I'm not totally Zoe. And that's why maybe she hasn't told Daniel and hasn't been as upfront because she, if Zoe didn't trust their parents, how can I, a copy of Zoe, trust them? For me, that question almost becomes relevant. They've kind of flip-flopped. Whether she thinks she is Zoe or just a copy of Zoe or she's some variant of Zoe. For me, it comes down to what is the character? And I can't stand the character. There's nothing redeeming at all about Zoe and I hate every second that she's on the screen. Last episode, Dimitri was talking about teen angst and what might make her a more believable character, depicting her angsty self. I found that to be especially true in this episode. It's one thing to have teen angst with her dad. They could depict that, that she doesn't have a good relationship with him and that would be fine. But to do so, they would have to show a more sympathetic side to the character. Teens have trouble relationships with their parents. That's nothing new. But usually see them having a positive relationship with their peers or their friends so they can hang out with them and they'd be like, Oh, you give me a, you understand. Then you get to see that they're not totally assholes all the time, but not with her. She's a complete brat, even to her so-called friend. It makes you wonder why is Lacey even friends with her again? And I didn't totally buy the explanation of why she wasn't going to reveal herself to Daniel. I agree about the manipulation of the audience with the last scene. I think her sitting there with weepy, eyes, her shaken resolve about, will I pull the trigger or not, when it really didn't matter. That was a cheat, and I I didn't appreciate. I still think when you're talking about there's a character on the screen that you don't care about, I still think the problem is that all these supposed fixes they keep trying, what I'm basically seeing is every new character they introduce is infinitely more interesting than the ones that they keep trying to revolve the show around. I mean, I really could give a crap about the Adamas and the Greystones at this point. It's almost like I like Virgis more as the anti-hero than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, the, the Adamas are kind of annoying, especially, you know, Papa Adama. It's his hesitation to pull the trigger in a virtual game where if you shoot someone, all they do is derez. It doesn't actually kill them in the real world. I mean, it's just a virtual reality game. I found that hard to believe because he's a Tauron. Has he never fired a gun? I just didn't buy that. He's Right. Well, he's a Toron, and he made a point of becoming a Capricorn, you know, when he moved to Caprica or whatever, and he tried to forget his past. So if you're making a point to become Capricorn and you change your name to Adams, it means you're trying to forget a past. And in that past, he was a thug. 
So, yeah, I didn't buy that. Like, he has hesitation to shoot a video game. I mean, that's stupid. I don't know if he was necessarily a thug, but he definitely was in the environment where I'm sure there was some sort of yeah. less than what? great characters running around. And for him, you to- have breakfast and there's a gun on the table. Exactly. You, know? It's not, you know, you hear gunshots all the time. And if you never shot actually a person, maybe his brother was shooting people, but he shot a gun at a door. He shot a gun at a car. I mean, this is a video game. We go to Dave and Buster's and we offload $20 of machine gun rounds into all kinds of people and aliens all the time. It doesn't affect us. It's just a game, right? So this is a game. This is just a high-tech game. Now, see, I saw him as Michael in The Godfathers, where he was a lawyer and he was raised away from that and distanced from it. And that's why he had changed his name. And so that's why it didn't bother me. Now, I did have a little bit of problem with the, you know, it's a game. So why are you freaking out so much part? But I was glad at the end when he finally did take some charge, even if he had to have the spinach in the eye (laughs) or whatever, the MacGuffin that allows him to go crazy. But I was glad he finally did seem to be taking charge and doing something. And plus, I'm really frustrated with the whole game environment. Me too. I mean, me too. Who creates a game environment where everything's exactly the same as it is in the real world? I mean, what a lack of imagination. I mean, hell, even Dwight's second life character could fly. <laughs> in the office. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my, he's just like me in every way, except I can fly. Yeah, my main complaint about that game is that it's do or die, literally, and everyone walks around like they're in some sort of retro play, whereas... If it's truly that situation and that type of war zone, it'd be like a Halo game. You would be armored up. Even if you couldn't like just create your own avatar with your own equipment on, you'd be scrounging for stuff. And there would be like this sort of like road warrior looking type of outfits that people were wearing, taking whatever you can to protect yourself. It certainly doesn't seem to follow a logical pattern. Like the whole New Jack City part of the game was created in an out of bounds, so to speak, area by hackers. But yet, for some reason, they claim that once you're killed, you can never come back. What a pile of crap. Yeah, just hack your way back in. I mean, if you you tell a computer hacker they can't get into something, then they don't do anything else in their lives until they get back in. Mm -hmm. The thing that I was most intrigued by was, A, Tamara was in there and she had some possibly huge role to play. And B, that the mere existence of the game might have been put in for a specific reason. They don't tell you how it was created or what the rules are. It reminds me of, I think it was uh, the movie AI, Steven Spielberg movie, where the robot character enters one of the uh, amusement park places and he talks to the blue fairy to ask a question. And his specific query opens up a... To the fairy. To to the fairy. Opens up a subroutine, which then alerts another program that he is actually making this inquiry. It basically was always waiting for him to show up to ask the question. And so I was thinking, well, if someone created a program, a game, specifically an environment, so if an AI happened to get in, you know what I mean? Is is it a way to test and find an AI in the system? I thought that would be an interesting idea, but I, I don't know. The end result of what they're doing in this new Cap City is just not what I hoped it would be. Well, and of course, it's such a crutch line. They keep throwing out, well, what's the point of the game? Well, finding out the point of the game is the point of the game. 
it's just such a crutch because that just means the writers really have no clue what they're doing with it. At this point, we don't know. Maybe there is something. There is a plan. Yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> I want to go back to the ending just for a moment because I'm the alternate, and so maybe I'm just happy being manipulated, but I made notes right after the episode, and I said that I thought the whole storyline of him trying to trick her into meeting herself was interesting. And at the end, I was worried that to keep this facade that they would kill the dog and Dag it. makes me think of all the you know old comic books back in the 60s you know buy this issue or else we kill this person <laughs> and at the end i thought it was a good reveal that even though it seemed like it was suspenseful not at all the robot knew enough that it was blanks and so that didn't bother me the fake out it actually was okay with me I'm thinking my grade's going to be higher than yours this time, Brian. I think what Brian is saying is that the scene after where she's talking to her friend and she says, well, as soon as I pick up the gun, I realized that it was lighter because it didn't have full shelves. That conversation ruins the coolness of the previous scene. It nullifies it because without that, then you're like, what's more powerful, the girl inside the U87 or the U87 herself, or is the girl trying to defy her father as a teenager? Does she have no care for the dog? We could have a huge conversation about that right now, but since she confesses that the gun was lighter because the clip was lighter, it nullifies the character of the U87. Does it have a conscience? Will it kill an innocent dog? Will it, you know, that whole 15-minute conversation is moo now. Yeah. Moo. They could have made the scene work. In the writing, they could have said, I'm going to give you five seconds. Oh, yeah. And he goes, one, and she goes, Poof. then it would been like, whoa, hardcore. She didn't flinch. She did it. That would have made the scene work better. You could have actually gone, just said, U87, I want you to kill the dog. I'm going to count to five. Boom. Yeah, that's what I mean. And stop calling it a dog. <laughs> okay, sorry. Dag it, sorry. Dag it. Now, that would have okay. been great, right? If she had shot the dog, then he could have made a cyborg out of it and called it Dag it. Yeah. That actually would have been a great, instead of the dog having some stupid name, like whatever its name is, Muffet. if the dog's name was Daggett, yeah, that would have exactly. been an awesome and simple throwback to the old school. Right. The only part of the episode I did not enjoy was anything to do with Amanda. Watching her become insane is not entertaining. It's boring and it's just disturbing to a certain degree. And I just, I don't understand this whole obsession with her brother, wanting to get high with the nun. Nothing about her story makes sense. It truly should not be on the show. You're not looking for an opposing viewpoint here, are you? (laughs) No, that's what I'm saying. I wanted to jump on that. It's not, I'm not totally, you know, in love going, okay, no, it's all, you know, roses and champagne. I still have a little bit of problem with the show. Now, we're speculating, but it seems like the woman's sidekick in the virtual world does need to be someone we know. Emmanuel or whoever. Mm-hmm. Boots. Yeah. It just seems like that should be a character in Caprica, not in you know the new Cap City. I speculate it could be Tamara, too. I'm thinking it's not Tamara because... Too obvious? Well, I think, I think it's somebody from the group marriage. Because they're trying to find her as well, because she's the messiah, doesn't die in the virtual world, she's the god, or whatever they were talking about her. I think it's somebody from the group marriage. If they are trying to make it Tamara in disguise, I 
feel like, again, they're just doing a bunch of fake outs where they've had scenes of her looking legitimately terrified that she was either shot or going to be shot. And if it truly was Tamara, unless she was a great actress, she would be not so concerned about taking a bullet or getting her arm grazed. I don't think that would matter. Well, also, Root said that she's being paid to help him. Nobody would be paying Tamara because nobody knows, right? Yeah. Unless she's lying. The only thing I could think is they want to have some parallel between Zoe not wanting to show herself to Daniel and Tamara not wanting to show herself to Joseph. But why would that be? That's almost as inexplicable to me. That's even, I don't find Zoe's refusal to be believable, but Tamara not showing herself to Joseph makes no sense. I don't get that at all. So I'm, I'm thinking it's not her. I don't, I don't know where she is. I understand that it's perhaps a big virtual city and she wouldn't be able to find him right away. On the other hand, it's a TV show and that kind of stuff can happen really easily. But just from a story perspective, why would you keep that character out of the picture for a while? What was the purpose of having this proxy, basically? I think maybe this proxy, this boot, is to have Adama grow some balls. It was good to see that. He finally did. But why couldn't they have had the Tad character, the gamer guy, be that guy? Why do they have to introduce this girl to do it? I mean, he, he could have been... Well, because the gamer guy, he's dead. Well, I know, but he didn't have to die. That was the thing. They could have had him stay well, maybe alive. maybe he had to die so that to give some meaning to the fact that if you die and you... You know, he needed to have a connection with someone who derezzes and he can't come back. Yeah, well, like, they haven't made that point enough. Like, if you die in the New Cap City, you die forever. Well, I, I'm, I'm still on the fence about that. I'm not sure. I mean, Boots got grazed and she didn't get derezzed. And then why did her arm heal itself? Shouldn't it have stayed derezzed until she got some healing? Yeah, that was kind of weird. You know, like she just held on to it and said, oh, it hurts. And then it came back. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't it just have been like in and out the whole time? I agree. Good point. And then how does the drug affect you in the real world? That doesn't make any sense. If the drug is affecting you in the real world, shouldn't, if you're on that drug and you get shot, shouldn't you bleed in the real world? Well, this goes to why I took a turn of dislike for this episode. As it screamed almost holodeck episode to me with Adama dressed up in his little white hat and gangster outfit. You would be nice if he came in not dressed up like an untouchable, but if he came in dressed up like futuristic or like a Toron gangster, that would have mm-hmm. been cool. No jacket, no hat, wife beater with all his tattoos showing. That would be an awesome, right? <laughs> because then he's like, oh, wow, this guy is badass. He right. doesn't care. He's showing his real self. I can see it now. He appears like John McClane in Die Hard, and he comes up, and his wife, Peter, is like, yippee motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm talking There's a little gasoline falling onto the highway from that floating blimp thing, and he blows it up. Mm-hmm. God, I love it. We should be writing this shit. <laughs> So we say often. Right. I do agree that we all like the Tamara character. It's very disappointing they've not brought her back. We all felt that that was a pretty good episode and we were enjoying it and they've done nothing with it. And so they kind of gave us a tease and then they haven't followed through. Have you noticed the one character that has been missing? Willie Adama. Does anyone care? No. No. <laughs> No, 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 no. We just yeah. Like I said before, yeah. if if he's off at military school right now, I'd be happy. You can get rid of all the Adamas except the gay brother. Mm-hmm. Give yeah. me the gay brother. Yeah, there you go. Quote me on that one. Um, <laughs> Virgis, Spike, Lacey, and Tamra. There we go. So okay, writers, take that. Build us a series. Right. I've said it many times, but I think Lacey has a really good potential. I think 
Now, I'm not totally into the Buffy lore like you are, Jason, but she is, reminds me of like a Willow character, very unassuming, who at one point could turn dark. I'll take that to my dreams tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that would be cool. That would be an, an arc that I would be interested in seeing. My frustration at this point on this show actually comes from what I consider to be the potential that they seem to be wasting. There's now elements we- there, but it's like they're either just picking things out of a hat or throwing them at a dartboard, whatever cliche you want to use. If they started out on the wrong foot and they think they did fine, but you need to fix it faster, create some plausible excuse to get away from some of these things that aren't working and start anew and pick up what's interesting. I mean, more on Virgis, more on the STO. This week is the mid-season finale, which is because that's what cable channels do. But we've seen, especially this year, A lot of shows can go either one way or the other. If you take a break and when it comes back, no one cares, or you come back and there's a lot more interest. So do you think people are going to come back however long a break they take? And how about you three? Will you just wash your hands up and say, you know what, I I gave it a half a season, it didn't captivate my interest, and I'm moving on? I usually don't tend to use a mid-season break as a... I'm not coming back anymore. I mean, if I'm not coming back, it would have already happened, most likely. I just hope it's not a a one-year and two-month break like the last Galactica. They couldn't afford that. I don't know what the the break is at this point. Has anyone heard? I haven't heard any word. No. No, I I haven't heard anything. Look, this is like the crystal meth of shows. It's bad for me, but I'm not going to (laughs) stop. But I will say, because you can just leave it on the TiVo and record it. But if they bring it back at a time when there's a lot of other things to watch, the episodes might sit on my TiVo for a while. If they bring it back in the middle of summer, bring it back like during the All-Star break when there's literally nothing on. It seems to work for Mad Men. They kind of come on right before everything kicks off, and they run most of their season in the dead of nothing. They shouldn't take too long a break, and they definitely shouldn't try to bring it back when there's other things on. Right. Absolutely. Battlestar Galactica was great at having mid-season cliffhangers. Not always, come on. Well, which one? Algae Planet. Okay, Algae Planet. But I know you didn't like that cliffhanger, but it was still effective. I mean, it got us coming back. You weren't saying after that episode, well, that was a kind of contrived cliffhanger. I'm not going to come back and see how that resolves. But unfortunately, every time I try to compare this show with Battlestar Galactica, I am inevitably disappointed. And I don't want to set myself up to think that the midseason finale is going to match my expectations of what I hope will happen. So I don't remember. Did Ron Moore or David Icke say this is not Battlestar Galactica? You know, don't go in this expectations. Did they try to distance from the show? I think they did. They said from the outset that it was going to be a different type of show. I mean, we've said many times that they pitched it as a sort of Dallas in space, which is... Nothing like it is. Well, a lot of people have said it was sort of a soap opera, which is true. The first several episodes had a different vibe. I don't see South Fork, and I haven't seen a JR yet, so I'm just saying. I'm a child of the 70s. (laughs) I know Dallas. I live in Dallas. Right. What does it mean when they say it's not going to be Battlestar Galactica? What does that mean? I think their initial idea was that rather than have individual episodes that had an A story which wrapped up, like this episode we have to defeat 
scar the Cylon Raider that's been attacking us. Or this episode, we have to get through the asteroid field or whatever. This series, I think they envision more as very languid and stretching across several episodes where characters would begin in one episode, go through and then through another episode and then another episode. And over time, things would develop and they would sort of Oh, like heroes. And it would sort of weave together, kind of like heroes, but these heroes had more impetus of like plot action going from one episode to the other. It was like keeping you pulled along. There was always a carrot there, to, at least in the good heroes in season one. Maybe they found, for whatever reason, that wasn't working, and maybe they're switching to a more traditional model. But again, I haven't seen it so much in the last couple episodes. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stick with it. Of course, I was happier with this episode than you guys were. And I'm hoping that... It won't disappoint me this Friday, but I wouldn't bet on it based on their previous track record. Mm -hmm. But I am hopeful. At this point, I've actually moved on to keeping hope alive since I saw that story about they're already developing another series that goes back to the, quote, space opera thing. That gives me more hope than this one being fixed. The timing of it is interesting because I wonder what they consider to be the lifespan of this series. Do they? And I mean, Ron Moore and David Icke. And then we're not hearing much from Ron Moore, so I don't know how much input he has. But do they envision this as a three-season show, a two-season show? I mean, Battlestar Galactica was only four, and that was huge in scope. There was so much they could have easily done five seasons of that show. I don't see this anywhere even close to being a four-season show. Battlestar Galactica was five seasons, Brian. If your mid-season break is longer than a year, your second half of your season is a fifth season. That's right. We did brand the last 10 episodes as season five. That's true. I think that's an interesting point about Ron Moore's silence. He isn't doing the podcasts. Do you think he's not been involved with this one and this is more David Icke's baby? Yes. I think that's not mere speculation. That was something that they said would happen when they first started the show. He was going to be executive producer for the first, I think, 10 episodes. Then he said he was going to somewhat remove himself and it was going to be Ike and Jane Espenson who were going to take over. And as we know, Jane has sort of stepped down from the showrunner spot. Right. So I don't know what involvement he has right now. I'm not sure if he's totally devoting himself to some new project, like the movie project he's supposed to be developing for Paramount. That might be what he's doing. Because using the Lennon-McCartney analogy that everything they wrote, even if they did it separately, they just gave it the same name. So maybe that's in this case, you know, he's done very little mm. and it's names on it just because that's how the partnership they've made. Right. Initially, I thought he had a lot more to do with the beginning of the series because initially, at least on IMDb, he was credited as writing the first two episodes. And I think even in the podcast, I said as much, but it turns out that he was not the writer of those two episodes. And Maybe it just comes down to some of the arcane rules that they have for the Writers Guild. Sometimes, depending on who writes, it's more so for film than for TV scripts, but right. they can have these rules about, you know, so-and-so writes whatever draft, and then they someone else finishes it. What The percentage of it determines who is actually given credit. But again, that's more for film than for TV. But at least my impression was that he had more to do with the beginning of the series. And really, his involvement was, on the very direct level, he was the director of the second episode. That's about it as far as credits go, apart from being executive producer. This episode, I don't know what else there is to discuss from this one. So you two didn't like the episode at all? I'm not liking the series. No, it's not this episode. I mean, I just think the series yeah. doesn't work for me. It's boring. 
Like I, the other shows I watch nowadays, I watch Castle. It's a cop drama, but it's very exciting. Right. I watch Southland, another cop drama. You know, that's really heavy. This just doesn't draw me in, you know? But still, what kills me is all the fantastic reviews this is getting. If you think this is such a great show, where were you when BSG was on? Yeah. And it just strikes me as that these might be people that kind of miss the BSG wagon, so they want to make sure they don't miss this in case it blows up. Right. I'm a little sad. I really thought that you guys would be happier with the episode. That's why after I watched it, I shot an email, <laughs> the, the giddy little kid going, oh, I can't wait to discuss it with my friends. It's going to be so cool. Okay, let's do grades. I've had a lot of restraint with the grades for the show so far, and uh, I think the worst I've given it has been a C, and I just hated this episode. Zoe, nothing else I can say. I'm just giving it a D. It, it needs to get better, and I'm hoping something, the next episode, the midseason finale, really turns it around. So I was going to give it originally a B plus, and I'm going to stick with that. It wasn't an A, but it was very strong. I was very happy. You know how in the Olympics when Bodhi or whomever, they crashed and they weren't able to make it down to the bottom. And then when they showed the time splits or the times and the rankings, if they didn't score, they get a DNS, did not score. I'm going to give it a DNS. Wow. <laughs> Does that make me the American judge on the homework? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> okay. For 40 minutes, I was set to go B-. minus. And I was just so completely bummed by the last three or four scenes. I dropped it to a D. I mean, wow. That's a sharp yeah. curve. Remember, it's okay if you suck the whole time because then we just feel pity. <laughs> but if you show potential and then screw it up, that's when you get graded the worst. Words of wisdom, people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if, if you're going to bring the suck, bring it full time. <laughs> but, but don't tease me with potential and then decide to punt in the last two minutes. Mm. And I know I've hammered this point home, but stop giving me three minutes of good characters and 45 minutes of characters I don't care about. Okay, that will probably wrap up this episode. We have one more regular episode before we go to midseason break, but we will not be taking off. For whatever time that they do take off, we will still be doing episodes. Well, you know, Brian, also, these guys end next week, and then it's April 1st, and V comes back. And all the other sci-fi shows that we watch are coming back. Right. We will be kicking up Geek Quorum big time. We'll be doing a lot of episodes talking about V and Lost and things like that. And we do have Caprica slash Battlestar podcasts outside of just the regular episodes that we'll be putting out in the hiatus as well. So do please stay subscribed. To contact us, give us feedback. Tell us whether you loved or hate the episodes at gquorum at gmail.com and our voicemails 301-358-5175. And follow us on Twitter at Galactica Quorum and find us on Facebook as well. Thank you for subscribing. The Jump Block is running. We'll see you next time. So Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.
Canada was not trusting of me, and nor was the United States. I had to do a full body scan, and they went through every package, every package. And when he says every package, hey, you know what he's talking about. That's what she said. Every They unzipped everything on my briefcase. Stop. Like, oh, right, sorry. right, okay. Safe word, Winnebago. We're getting our... <laughs> When you get the full body scan, do you have like just a couple minutes to like fluff yourself before you get photographed? I mean, you don't want to show up with a one inch, right? <laughs> it, it was. The I was like, in the pool. Yes, I was in. There's shrinkage, shrinkage. Uh, yes, it's fucking cold in Canada, man. I, give me. A was, there was snow on the ground when we left. Hey, listen, I scan a lot better in Acapulco. <laughs> yes. 